The following message is entitled, The Marks of Superjoy Suffering, Part 9. This message was given during the evening service on August 21, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sermon title stays the same till I'm done with these marks of suffering. The Marks of Superjoy Suffering is what this series is entitled. Just each week the part number changes. This is part of a larger series of 1 Peter 1, 6-9 that I entitled A Joyful Salvation. I would probably redo that title and call it A Joyfully Suffering Salvation, but I'll leave it as is. It's plainly obvious that suffering and joy are two partners in 1 Peter. Joy is in many places in 1 Peter and suffering is in every chapter of 1 Peter. So this is a major issue for the Christian life. Basically, an entire epistle, 1 Peter, has been written to us to confront the issue of suffering and joy. That's pretty important. There is not an entire epistle written on the Spirit-filled life. There isn't an entire epistle written on evangelism. There is not an entire book of the New Testament written on serving with your gifts. There isn't an entire epistle in the New Testament written on worship. First Peter's been written on suffering. Notice the introduction. Necessity versus optionality. Please, those who listen by remote recording, don't send me an email or a text saying there is no such word. I made it up. Optionality. I like that word. Why is that not in the dictionary? So, last Sunday night... I gave you a lecture on paganism, neo-paganism, as we studied ancient paganism in the Old Testament and throughout history. And this relates to the second mark of superjoy suffering. Very simple mark to understand. If I said to you, you all right now need to get up and walk out the front door it is absolutely necessary to your physical survival. Does anyone not understand that statement? Is that clear? It is possible someone here would say, why? Huh? The why would be driven by doubt that it's really necessary. And knowing how I am, that would probably be a good question to ask me. If Jesus Christ incarnate was standing up here, and I was down there, and he said it is absolutely necessary for you to stand up right now and walk out the front doors, go, we would light our way and this seventh of a ton fat boy up here would knock you all down. 
getting to the head of the line, going down the stairs backwards. So what's the deal? First Peter tells us it's necessary to suffer. I'm not telling you that. What gives? We want to know why and we don't believe it. Who are we doubting then? Peter and the Spirit. Necessity versus optionality. Review number one from last Sunday night. In your note sheet we learned last Sunday night what is a pagan. <coughs> Answer. A pagan is a religious person with no Judeo-Christian Frame of reference whatsoever. Frame of reference. If you don't know what I mean by frame of reference, then underneath it write down, pagans have no Christian morals. That's what you should write in the blank lines. That's what we learned last Sunday night. Their morals are the opposite of Christian morals. Would you all agree that necessity and optionality are opposites? Okay. So what the pagan considers moral, we learned last Sunday night, the Christian considers evil and vice versa. Isaiah 5. Let me give you some Old Testament examples from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 5, verse 11. Isaiah 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening <coughs> that wine may inflame them. That's that track back there that I mentioned this morning, seven seconds to death. The dude who was driving the vehicle at 8.15 a.m. was already stone drunk. I mean, he got out of his car after completely destroying his front end. Of course, he tried to drive away. His axle had broken, his, and his entire front frame was smashed and down on the tires, and he's trying to get his car to get out of there after he totaled the back of my truck and his own front end. And thank you, Lucha's co-workers, Richard and some others. They dived like Superman on the hood of his vehicle and we're yelling at him to get out of the car. So he gets out of the car and he's like this, <laughs> I realize I didn't see. I said, you went up on the sidewalk. I did not see. Wow. You just total your car and my vehicle and you're laughing. That's verse 11. That's pagan. It's pagan. Woe is bad. When God says woe, okay, that's bad. God looks down from heaven and when he goes like this, staring at a human, woe. Not wow. That's judgment talk from God. Early, pursue strong drink. Late, inflame is. Our 
is our society completely captured by alcohol and drugs? Verse 20. We know this is pagan. This is simple. Let's back up to verse 18, not 20. Chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes. It's an interesting way of talking about enslavement to sin. Okay? So you're dragging your sin with cords of falsehood and dragging your sin with cart ropes. The idea is a heavy burden. Liars! Who say, let him make speed, let him hasten his work that we may see it, and let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. I'll only believe in God and give up my sin if he manifests himself. Verse 20. Here it is. This is paganism, defined by the Old Testament. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There it is. That is essential paganism. Call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Have, have you ever wondered, listening to pagan co-workers and family, why do they keep doing their self-destructive behavior when it's ruining them? And we can see it, right? It's right there. They're pagan. They substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It doesn't matter that their sin destroys them. They still want it. Even after, in Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels made the Sodomites blind they still bumped against the door trying to find the handle. None of them realized, hey, why are we sodomizing pagans blind? Is anyone able to see? I can't. Pagan. Woe, verse 18. Woe, verse 20. Woe, verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Oh, my goodness. That's pagan. Unteachable, don't want advice. Please don't give me your Jesus. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I believe in. Clever in their own sight. Woe verse 18, woe verse 20, woe verse 21. So you've got sin enslavement, verse 18, a mark of paganism. Inverted morality is the root issue, verse 20. Verse 21, arrogance, self-worship. Then you go back to addiction again, verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong. Isn't that, isn't that how alcohol is portrayed? You know? Raise up the glass, party, enjoy. You never saw a beer commercial for Miller by a, you know, this would have been gotten me fired doing a beer commercial for Miller Corporation where... Hey, uh, boss, I came up with this TV ad where we're showing a dark alley and there's a wretched bum lying in the filth of his own body in the gutter there and he's shaking with the DTs as he's lifting a miller to his lip. Wouldn't that be a great selling point right there? Yeah. Valiant men, heroes in drinking wine. 
who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. That's why it doesn't matter whether they're Democratic or Republican. Republican isn't moral and Democrat is immoral. The pagans, Republicans and Democrats are pagans. They justify wickedness. Hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Chapter 30, Isaiah 30. And we know this. I mean, you don't have to convince us, John, you could say. We know this is paganism. Well, we're not seeing it, folks. We are selectively behaving as pagans while we condemn pagans for this behavior. Now it gets a little more close to home in Isaiah 30. Verse 1. Just like those other woes, here's another one. Woe to the rebellious children. So to be in rebellion brings a woe, and children is referring to the Israelites who execute a plan but not mine. They make decisions without God involved and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. Self-serving, self-sufficient. Rebellion in any form is grouped with paganism. Chapter 31. Verse 1, another woe. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Wow. Rely on military, physical strength. Pagan. Not relying on the Lord. What does woe bring to the person, whether pagans, Gentile, or pagans, Israelites? What does it bring? Verse 2 of chapter 31. He also is wise and will bring disaster. Disaster awaits anyone who acts like a pagan. And that brings up review number two. The major mark of a pagan that we looked at last week in Ephesians 4, we won't go back there, and we just saw in Isaiah 5, is the mark is the inversion of truth. Light becomes good for the Christian, but light for the pagan is bad. Darkness is bad for the Christian. Darkness is good for the pagan. It's the inversion of truth. That's why in all respects we don't want to do that. We don't want to subscribe to the opposite of what the Bible commands us. Now, sin is always a violation of God's commands. It is doing the opposite of what God calls us to do. But there are some really, really bad ones. There are degrees of sin and there are degrees of rebellion. And as I have repeatedly mentioned to you, the eight wills of God are huge mountain peaks of righteousness, and we especially with the eight wills of God do not want to invert those. That is major rebellion, major acting like a pagan. So under number two, we have to avoid inverting the wills of God at all cost. We have to avoid inverting 
the wills of God at all costs. Certainly with all sin. We don't want to glory in sin. See, what we do if we're growing is we commit sin, we did it, then we feel guilt, then we repent. Inverting of truth requires rebellion where the inversion takes place and yet there's no repenting. Review number three. So in regards to our, to our series here in 1 Peter 1.6, you can go there now. 1 Peter 1.6. Let's bring this home to roost. First Peter 1.6. The marks of super joy suffering. Mark number one, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. That's mark number one of suffering for Christians. We have to accept the fact that we're going to suffer. In mark number two, if necessary. If is a, dramatical, is a grammatical construct that just means it is necessary. And we'll get to that. It's not doubt. It is necessary. So review number three. In regards to our series in 1 Peter 1.6, where Peter's teaching believers it is their calling as Christians to suffer for Christ. How would the pagan respond to that idea? The answer in your note sheet, the pagan would say no to suffering. It's as simple as that. And in our society, they do. I don't want anything negative. Don't talk to me about hell. Live for today. Ignore tomorrow. I want to feel better. As the Doobie Brothers said in the 70s, on Saturday night, everything is all right. Because work isn't until Monday. Don't worry about Monday. Enjoy the concert. Enjoy the fun. The booze. The party. The evil. Pagan would say no to suffering. He would say that is foolish. Pursue suffering? They'd think we are nuts if we told unbelievers that. And he would say one must avoid. One must avoid suffering at all costs. The pagan would say. And suffering must be replaced with feelings, great feelings, urges, living life to the fullest. It's pagan. Because verse 6, the Christian, it is necessary to suffer. It is not optional. If you'll notice, my numbering system is messed up. In your note sheet, I've got one, two, three, three, four. I stuttered at that point when I did the numbering, so after three should be four, after Four should be five and so forth. So it should be seven points on the front side. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sorry. I'd already printed it and I looked at it and I went like that and said, oh well, don't have time to change it. So the next point, cross off number, the second number three and put number four where it says, and now we land in First Peter 1, 6 and mark number two of Christian suffering. What I've just stated is the obvious. Suffering is necessary. 
What is the opposite of necessary? Well, you've got it. If you don't like coined terms, then just write the word optional down. Optional. Now, we're going to define necessary, but need I dumb this down to define optional? Let's define optional. Optional means you have a choice. Write it down. You can choose not to suffer. Optional is you have a choice. You can go either way. Christians would say this. Suffering is only necessary if there's no other option. If there's another option, find a way out. For two sermons, sermon and a half, I've taught you that paganism inverts biblical righteousness. So look at that one word in the middle of verse 6, necessary. If I'm a pagan, I avoid suffering. That's under point number 3, which is really now point number 4. A pagan seeks at all costs to avoid suffering. I have asked professed believers in and out of this church for years. Let's just use pastors. Okay? Because no one here is a pastor. Well, technically, we do have two pastors here, according to 1 Peter 5. Ryan and Randy, because 1 Peter tells us that all elders are pastors. But Which number three do you want repeated? <laughs> the second one or the first one? First one? The pagan would say no to suffering. Is that the one you wanted? He would say, that is foolish. And one must avoid suffering at all costs. And suffering must be replaced with great feelings. And we know that's true. It's our society. I don't like this job, I quit, I don't like this marriage, I quit, I don't like this house, I move to another area. And suicide, suicide is the ultimate avoidance of suffering issue. Why is suicide massively increasing in our society? Because the society has moved into paganism. And what do you do when you can't stand the suffering of life? Off yourself. That's pagan. That's why in Hong Kong, as Sue's niece told us, they have body catcher nets above the apartment building front doors. So many people jump off the roof. They don't want the people coming out of the building to get hit by bodies. Pagan! So we know that the avoidance of suffering is pagan, and we can do it. Now look at pastors. I've gotten myself into such trouble with fellow pastors. I remember one who was a dear friend was, he's kind of dropped me now because I'm so nasty, I would have supposed, but uh, years ago he said, I'm leaving this church, John, I'm going to another church out of state, so I said, 
Why? When you ask a pastor why he's quitting his church, that's, that's grounds for pulling the guns and swords out. It means you're confused. Why are you leaving? And I always have gotten the answer, God is calling me on. Hope I cut my nostril hairs in my piety. So I remember standing in the balcony of the church where this pastor was, friend, and he was taller than me, so I looked up at him and I said, how do you know that? And then he got a furrowed brow. My work here, John, is done. Oh, there are no more Christians to hear the word to grow? No more unbelievers to be saved? Then the furrowed brow becomes like this. I just know it is time. So I pursued it. How do you know that? Did you have a voice from God? Oh no, no John, we belong to the IFCA. We don't believe in voices and visions. Well, how do you know? What's really going on when pastors leave churches? I know one recently that just left the IFCA church down here. Said the same thing. No, not Pastor Sam. Okay, somebody else. Because you could be Sherlock Holmes and say, who does he know that's down that way? No, somebody else. Further south. What's really going on? What if I got into the pulpit next Sunday and said, I have seen the lights and God is calling John Stevens and Sue on. Oh, okay. No, you should say, how do you know that? There are reasons for leaving a church as a pastor. Apostasy, heresy, lack of church discipline, you know, false gospels being promoted, doctrinal statements become heretical. There are a host of reasons why godly men leave rotten churches. I have rarely heard of that taking place. What's going on with pastors? They are tired of the suffering. I don't make friends when I tell them that. I said to this one years ago, you don't have any right to leave here. You don't have any, how are you going to fulfill your gift? He was going to ministry, we wouldn't be preaching anymore. So how are you going to fulfill your gift here? You're call, the gifts and the calling are sure, you just can't dump pastor teacher. That was it. Pastors are pagans too. In practice. When we want to avoid suffering, is that not the opposite of the word necessary in verse 6? And isn't inverting truth a mark of paganism? Now you know why I lectured you on paganism. Now you know why I've spent another half a sermon on it. Because we could say, it's not pagan to invert truth. It's just optional. If there's a doorway out, take it. Pastors don't like the fact that the same people who used to just bow their knees to the grandeur of my sermons now can barely keep their eyes open. 
at suffering. They don't quite listen anymore. That's suffering. I need to get fresh meat. Who will come up and the honeymoon will be restored in a new church. Oh, I've never heard preaching like this. We're no different than you. Pagans in the pew, pagans in the pulpit. Why do missionaries leave the field? No converts, lack of fruit, time to go. Why didn't God tell Jeremiah that? 38 years preaching to a recalcitrant people. Pastor in California, I've told you before, when I was, we were at an IFCA convention, or I was in Florida by myself that year, because we had to watch the kids, I was riding from the airport with one of the big shots of the IFCA. First thing he asked me is, do you have fruit in your church? You got a lot of fruit, a lot of conversions, a lot of people growing? I said, no. <laughs> There's some people growing, but we haven't had any conversions. Looked at me like that. And he said, and I paraphrase, if you're not getting fruit in your church, you need to leave. So I reared up at him and I said, where's that in the Bible? Just a little pipsqueak, Pastor John, not a big highfalutin leader. Just, would you like to show me that in the Bible? Turned his head away from me, didn't talk to me anymore. This is endemic to pastoral leadership. It is a plague. One pastor said, I leave. God has called me to leave the church I'm in every six and a half years. Oh my goodness. Could you tell me how do I could find that verse too? I'd like to hear that one. And how did you pull off the six months after six years? He actually said that to me. Big leader in the IFCA. That is outrageous. Imagine if you said that to me. You came in here and started attending. I'm, you know, the, the clock is ticking, John. I'll be a member and I'll serve, but just six and a half years. What happens after six and a half years? I, as a member, will quit this church and go somewhere else. Why? Because God has shown me that that's my calling. Lies, lies, lies. It's the... It's the... Seven-year itch you get as a pastor. It kind of lands right around seven years, just like in marriage. Oh, my goodness. i got to make this six and a half years. That gives me six months to look for a new church before the number seven strikes home. You haven't had the pleasure of seeing me dump and run with Sue where you could then ask me these things. Why are you leaving, John? If I was honest, I'd say, well, look at the pews, they're empty, and I mean, people aren't getting saved, and I basically had it. Then you would probably, if you were wise, say back to me, should I leave too? Because you're leaving. Maybe I should too. Oh, no, no, you need to stay here and support the next man, but I'm getting out. Go back to James chapter 5. 
Verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, you need to be turned back. Strays is a very, very important New Testament word. Planao. Wanders away. This is how we end up idolatrous. We wander away. Our word planet, planao, planet. Our word planet from the Latin back to the Greek comes from this Greek term. The root means to wander away. See, the ancients would look at the planets going across the sky. They could see a red Mars or had rudimentary telescope, and it just seemed that there was no rhyme or reason to it. They just wandered. The word planet is actually a scientifically incorrect term for the celestial bodies that have a very mathematical tracking around the sun. They're not wandering, but the term the term held. We, we hold to inaccurate ways of thinking in our minds, and it causes us to wander. And if truth be told, we gain these false philosophies from our pagan society. They pound us with suffering avoidance constantly. And sadly, I've been pounded by pastoral leadership in the IFCA that says, why are you still there? Like it's evil to endure and righteous to leave. That is inherently pagan. Point number five, which is point number four. And what do most believers think about suffering? They verbalize truth. Did you get all the points above that? On point number three, three? Now we land in First Peter 1, 6. You got all those points? Suffering is necessary. What's the opposite? It's optional. Now, after point three, three, point four, which is now five, what do most believers think about suffering? They verbalize truth. Suffering is necessary, but most believers live as if it is optional through massive suffering avoidance. Suffering is necessary, but most believers live in it as if it's optional through massive suffering avoidance. You know who are the worst truth tellers? non-livers in our church. I'm going to tell you right now, and if you're one of them, you may be sitting right here. The worst truth affirmers and non-livers in regards to this issue of suffering. Are you ready for it? Because I'm looking at some of you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who they are? Pastors! You got churches where the pastors dump and run and all the elders and deacons have to stick around and pick up the pieces. And the members just sit there crying. Do you know why he left? Well, he said he was called. He said he was called to another ministry. Well, what are we going to do now? We're hypocrites. We preach the affirming truth that you're to suffer in the cause of Christ. Sermons preach that. But as soon as there's trouble, they get running. Seven years is now down to about one and a half to two years. That's how long pastors stay in Bible-believing churches. On average. 
They've had it. Now, it's bad in the pews. There are some churches that still do fruit affirmation in membership meetings. You know what fruit affirmation is? Pastor John, every year we're going to have a membership meeting. Let's say January, third week. And every third week of January, we're going to vote affirmation on you and say, has there been fruit and growth in this church in 12 months? And if not, we're going to kick your, your little self out of here. Fruit affirmation. No fruit, out you go. There are actually churches that do that. You better get this church turned around or, oh, it's my responsibility, is it? Wow. That means we got pagans in the pews who vote on their leadership based on fruit affirmation. If you have any inkling of that, if Pastor John was really a Bible-teaching, godly man, there should be conversions in fruit. I wonder what's wrong with him. Guess what you are? Practicing pagan. Mm. How is a pagan defined again? By creed, I affirm that we are to suffering, or by practice, God has called me to quit this ministry. My work here is done. I'm mocking it. You bet I'm mocking it. I'm angry. This is a major will of God in the New Testament. And if we're going to preach it, we better live it. Oh, do you always want to stay here? No. You know, as the Doobie Brothers said, on Saturday night everything is all right, and on Monday morning everything is wrong. So yeah, I get my little carnal self out of bed on Monday morning. I resign. Now what do I have to do? Repent. It's not our creeds and our affirmations that tell us who we are. It's how we practice. You show the truthfulness and veracity of your Christianity to other Christians and the lost, not by what you and I say, but how we live it out. And if we're not living lives of endurance, we're telling the world that Christ is not enough to make me endure with his power. This is no small virtue inversion. Under number four. I'm using the numbers of the note sheet. This is no small truth inversion. Let me speak plainly. To make suffering optional is to be a pagan. And the Christian life does not equal our words and verbal affirmations. When God looks at us, he wants our words and our lives to line up. And if the words in the life do not line up, guess which God judges us by? The life, not the words. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul drove this like a stake into the vampire heart of the wicked Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4. God examines us to see if our words and our actions line up. If they don't, he ignores our words and believes the actions. He's really ticked off at these Corinthians. Verse 18. 1 Corinthians 4.18 Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Ah, forget Paul. He's not coming. We'll run this show the way we want. Verse 19. 
But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. How is the kingdom of God defined? Power. Power to save, power to transform. It's not our words. We are so messed up on this. Oh God, God, you know I love you. You know I love you. Oh yeah? How about that sin you're doing? He wants truth. I rarely, I can't even remember the last time in prayer I said, God, you know I love you. I can't say that. My sin is ever before me. How is that an affirmation of my love for you, Lord? So I want my words and my life to line up and I say, I want to love you. I hunger to love you, but I don't love you, and I don't want to love you at times. I'm torn. I constantly in prayer land into Romans 7. Lord, the very thing I don't want to do, I do. Do you see that in verse 20? It's not what we say. You know, we say a lot of things to each other in this church. I want God's will. I want him to work in my life. That means nothing to God if it doesn't line up. Let's go earlier in this chapter to verse 11. To this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. Wow, that's a pastorate. He should quit, isn't it? See that in chapter 4, verse 11? That's Paul. A little different than the pastor who said in a board meeting years ago, in the IFC regional, I don't go to any church less than 37000 a year, which was probably said about 30 years ago, and it was a pretty good chunk of change. Again, how did he come up with 37000 See, choose the odd numbers. It makes people think it really did come from God. I don't know why he says six and a half years to me, then leave, and I don't know quite why he says 37000 a year is my baseline from God on taking a pastoral position, but who's to judge the mysteries of our Lord? Homeless, verse 11. And we toil, verse 12, working with our own hands, just like I am. That's grounds for quitting a church, right? Pastor John's got to get another job. Yeah, I'm in good company there in verse 12. When we are reviled, we bless. See, that's an attack against Christianity by pagans. And who is reviling Paul? The Corinthian Christians. They're acting like pagans. Now look at the bomb dropped in verse 12. When we are persecuted, we endure. Wow. So number four, again. What do most believers think about suffering? They verbalize truth. Suffering is necessary. But most believers live as if it is optional through massive suffering avoidance. When you and I avoid suffering by practice, we are ditching the eighth will of God in the Bible. And we are behaving like pagans. 
Well, uh, how do I know? When, when should I leave because of suffering? When should I leave? I, I have various suffering issues in my life. The place I live, the job, the relationship. When, when do I quit? Never! Is that simple? Until God moves you. Or until the suffering is an invitation to compromise God's word. Years ago, I had somebody ask me to take guns across the state line for them. That's a federal violation. I said, no. You wanted me to throw them in the back of my truck. <laughs> Out in the open. Johnny, you carry these wet, there was like six shotguns and automatic rifles, semi-automatic, whatever. I need to take them to my friend over here in Indiana. I said, I'm not doing that. Sorry. If you don't do that, John, now this person didn't say this. Didn't say this. He said, okay. But if he had said, if you don't do that, John, I'll fire you. Okay, fire me. Now I quit. Maybe not as extreme. Back in my days at the ad agency, when we had phones with cords on them, I was dealing with an account, a television account, for Burt Wyman Ford. Anyone remember that? So my boss said, old people remember, if Burt Wyman calls this office, this is the president of the ad agency, you need to tell him I'm not here. I'm not going to lie for you. <clears throat> right into my face. You better do that. I'm not lying for you. And just one thing, boss, Mr. Mills, if I lie for you, I'm going to lie to you. You went, fine. You walked away. That's a reason to quit if I'm being asked to do evil, break the law. Otherwise, you stay put in where you live. You stay put and suffer in your relationship. You, if you're single, you stay single until God directs otherwise. If you're married, you stay married until God directs otherwise. If you're in a job that stinks, all jobs stink to some degree, you stay put until God moves you. The steps of a righteous one are ordained by the Lord. Not by me. Or I'm a pagan. Simple, isn't it? Stay. Or walk out the door and avoid. Face the consequences for such behavior. Thank you, Father, for your word. We know what the truth is. Living it is so impossible to do in our own power. We need divine empowerment to obey the Christian rule, to be willing to suffer always. We're too weak to do it, Lord. 
I can't, you can. Every bone in my sinful little body wants to quit. Forgive me for practicing paganism. Empower me. Empower me as the kingdom of God is not by words but by actions. Spirit of God, help us to endure until you say otherwise. And you won't say with a calling, nor a voice, you'll force us out. For your glory and for your honor we ask in Jesus' name, amen.